Welcome to Pair at the Point, the Pittsburgh Penguins podcast of the Faceoff Hockey Network. Follow us on Twitter at Pair at the Point and at the FHN. Visit thefhn.net for daily hockey articles and casts. All right, so today uh, we have a couple of topics to go through. Uh, first, we are going to tackle the finals. Uh, we have some thoughts and some predictions that we kind of want to go through. And then we also want to address the refing situation that's been happening throughout the entire playoffs. Obviously, uh, most minds are on the Stanley Cup Finals. Game 1 will commence tonight. Uh, this is Monday as of our recording. It, it's definitely been an unorthodox offseason. You know, coming off COVID and a bubble situation last year which was quite bizarre with you know 24 teams competing um, to a more normal scenario this offseason. We have seen, I think, maybe the biggest underdog in 15 years go to the Stanley Cup final, which is pretty cool. What do you think, Jess? Well, I've been rooting for the Canadians, I think, what, since maybe round two. I never actually thought they'd get there. So, yeah, the way they played all season basically was, you know, leaning towards them not even making the playoffs. And I think the only reason they did make the playoffs is because the other teams in Canada were so bad. But they've been great. I mean, without Carey Price, they're not here. So that's, that's like, the first point. He He's just been so good. I mean, I think it's probably one of the best goalie performances we've seen recently. Probably since... I mean, Vasilevsky had a, a great performance last year, and I don't want to take anything away from him. But I, but I think he this... also had a really good team around him. Yeah. And and not that the Canadians aren't good, but they're, they have some really old players who have no business being in the finals. And then they have some kids who have so much room to still grow. So it's kind of a weird situation with them. But, I mean, without Carey Price, they wouldn't be there. And... Did... Did anybody really expect this? No. I even, mean, even Canadians fans, Canadians players really didn't expect I, this. I would love to see the number of people who filled out a bracket and had <laughs> the Canadians going all, like to, to the final. That would be that would be so interesting to see. I, I hope that the NHL releases that at some point. Um, because, yeah. How, how many of those people were outside of Quebec? <laughs> right, right. And I think those, they are just like wishful thinking at that point. Yeah. But... I mean, it, it's all because of Carey, in my opinion, and I think they could win. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. I fluctuate every day on this. I think game one tonight will will tell a lot of the story um, as to how the pace of the the game, uh, how, how things flow. Right? How's the neutral zone going to look? Is Montreal going to be able to insulate the front of their net in the same way that they did to these other teams? I mean, well, I think. It's going to be pretty similar to the Islanders and Tampa series because Montreal plays very similar to the Islanders, but I think against Vegas they were just way more successful than the Isles were against Tampa. And I think it's going to be that same mentality of first goal, not maybe wins, but is super important because if the Canadians could strike first, they have such a great chance of just shutting it down. I, I think I think there's a lot to be said um, for Philip Deno, um, their center, who's really taken on a lot of these tough matches. 
you know, he did he had he didn't really get a ton of love in Selkie conversations, you know, prior to the season. We we were at the mercy of him last off season, and in a short series, we saw how effective he could be. Um, I also think Shea Weber is really putting together a Hall of Fame case. Really, um, I, th- I think he was already on the on the edge even without a Finals appearance. But now that he's there, who's to say that? You know, one of the better defensemen, one of the more consistent physical defensemen of this era, couldn't, you know, really make a claim to be one of the one of the greats. He he's he's been steady. He hasn't you know played a half hour a night, but he's played significant ma- minutes against top competition. You know, his shot is still booming. He's still able to move the puck well. I, I think there's something to be said for the leadership that he's brought um, and the steadiness that he's brought in front of Price. Yeah, I I agree. Shea's looked really good. I think what it comes down to, though, in this series is going to be goaltending. It's, you know, the top two goalies in the world facing off. I mean, Hellebuck Hellebuck would say maybe (laughs) he's part of the conversation, but it's pretty close. Well, I mean, Hellebuck got swept, so I'm not really worried about him right now. I, I legitimately think Price and Vasilevsky are the top two goalies right now. And I... I don't want to jinx it, but I think it's going to be a low-scoring series. Even even for Tampa, who, you know, we all saw score eight goals on the aisles the other night. I, I think I think that it's going to come down to the goalies and who, who plays better. And I think that kind of leads to a consummate prediction. And as good as, like, Braden Point's been and Kucherov and... Cole, he, I mean, on, on the Canadians, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think, ultimately, whoever wins whoever wins the Stanley Cup, their goaltender is going to be the Conn Smythe winner because that's how both teams have gotten this far. I, I agree with you. I, I, I think, you know, Point has been so good that I think he's still in the conversation, but the other two goalies, you know, with 14 goals through three rounds, that's pretty impressive. But Vasilevsky Price... This, this is one of those knockout, you know, marquee matchups. We haven't had something like this since, like, Brodeur and Wah in, like, 2 We were watching the highlights of that the other day, and it's just to see two greats go at it in their, you know, Wah was kind of towards the end of his prime, but in their prime, at, the, at their greatest, and with, with really good teams in front of them, it's a fun thing. So, you know, I'm, I'm here for it. You know, low-scoring hockey, they say it doesn't sell. I hope if they just call the penalties the way they're supposed to be called. That, I mean, and that, that kind of leads into our roughing discussion. Yeah. Ugh. Because we don't want to return to the dead puck era. If, <laughs> if there's one penalty that you wish they'd call more, yeah, and your answer's probably the same as mine, yeah, what is it? It's cross-checking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people are just getting brutalized, and... I get the let them play to a point, but it almost feels like we're just waiting for someone to get paralyzed at this point. And it really, really can change the outcome of a game if, you know, your best players just are getting cross-checked over and over again. And you just hate to see that. And I feel like if they would just call it even, you know, half the time, players would stop doing it. And it would create more scoring. And it would, you know, create more opportunity. And 
it would create a faster hockey game, which is what we all want to see. My, my, my biggest problem with this, outside of the obvious um, risk of injury, which I, I think is severe, especially when a lot of these cross-checks are delivered to the small of the back or the upper back or even the neck and head, um, I think my biggest gripe with it is, is that it becomes the default sort of tool for defensemen in and around the net. And I'm all for net front battles. I think smaller forwards should have to jostle for position. They should have to, you know, get their handedness open. They should have to be crafty. They should have to use their skill in tight under duress. With that said, cross checks are penalties. Yeah. You got to call it. I would, I, as, as odd as this sounds, and I might get some hate for this, I would rather players of today get hung on to in the way that they did in the dead puck era, you know, where there's players, you know, like having hooks around the hands and, you know, they're holding on to them with their free hands and slowing things down rather than what's happening now, simply because I think the players of today are so well conditioned they would blow through, blow through that stuff. But you get cross-checked, at, you know, 20 times in a game, there's not much you can do about well, that. And it also, we have to think about the players and getting hooked rarely is going to lead to like a crazy injury, but cross-checking is incredibly dangerous and leads to the fact that the league doesn't really care about player safety. And I mean, there we can go into this for three whole episodes about <laughs> player safety. I mean, we're Penns fans and we hate Tom Wilson. But, you know, it just is something as simple as a cross-check not being called just really reiterates that thought, that that they don't care about player safety. Yeah, I mean, the Department of Player Safety has been a joke for a long time. And it goes through multiple, you know, figureheads, whether it was Shanahan, now it's Paros. You know, and they'll always take the flack. You know, Bettman will always take the flack. But at the end of the day, the league... To a degree, is an old boys club. Yeah. And, you know, there is this mentality that you need to be able to fight through so much. Otherwise, your cup win isn't worth it. Skilled teams, you know, who needs them? We just want, we want to see some more broad street bullies. We want to see some more well, and you you even know, rough and tumble you even third see lines. It, you see it when you watch a national broadcast. Even, yeah. you know, the commentators are... Something illegal happens, and they're, they're like, that's it. old school hockey. We love that. We love to see that. That's vintage. And, yeah, yeah, and that's so annoying, and it's really keeping the game from progressing, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much finesse and skill that can be showcased. There's so many beautiful, awe-inspiring moments that can happen when you put a bunch of NHL-caliber players on the ice. Right. Why you need to bog it down with this stuff and that's not to say you shouldn't have hard hits. It's not to say you shouldn't have, you know, net front battles. I'm just saying the chintzy it's, garbage that is equalizing. Yeah, and, and it's hockey. I don't I, mean, I don't know why it needs to be there. It's hockey. It's always going to be hard hitting and there's always going to be, you know, a place for that. But we don't need the extra stuff. I would personally rather see skill and I'd rather see, you know, a really great player make a really great play because... So, I did want to touch on um, Greg Wisniewski. He's uh, been a great commentator. He's always got a 
you know, sarcastic take on something. But one of his big points over the years has been how inconsistent and ludicrously insane some of the NHL refing has been. He does mention that Dan O'Rourke is is justifying his his own bad calls throughout these playoffs. Um, going back to specifically uh, Braden Point in Game Two of the Islander series, um, where Point got a goalie interference penalty, which O'Rourke called, and you know he was pushed into the goaltender. Goaltender wasn't hurt, and that ended up uh, to the game-winning goal for the Islanders. You know, and O'Rourke has a history of this sort of thing. You know, where he's he's unable to kind of admit you know when he's wrong. In 2019, he, you know, he made that really horrible hand pass call between the uh, Sharks and the Knights, I believe, and he got literally booted from the playoffs, and now he's getting promoted to the Stanley Cup Finals, right? So there's this there's this culture, and, the, and that's not to say that mistakes don't happen, but there's this culture of the refs are always right even when they're dead wrong, and it's absolutely infuriating as a fan who follows it all the time. Last point on this, scouting the refs, uh, he's on Twitter, um, he follows literally every game for referees and linesmen in the NHL, he will talk about penalties, suspensions, everything, and when when you're that into that facet of the game, and you're still critical, it, it's pretty damning. They have to get their act together as a league, um, the refs need to start calling the rule book at least a little closer to the spirit of what was written. And, you know, if there needs to be adjustments, they should be done this summer by the Board of Governors. All right, with that ran over, who do you think wins the final? I'm going to I'm gonna make a risky prediction. I'm going to say the Canadians in six. Six? Yeah. Okay, explain. I don't know. It's more of a gut feeling, to be honest. Um, but I, I just think they're going to kind of do to the Lightning what they did to us last year. I think they're going to frustrate the Lightning, and they're not going to be able to score goals. So I, I think they're going to win. This is a head versus heart scenario. I really want the Canadians to win. I'm going to be rooting for them 100%. I don't think a bandwagon this hard in years. <laughs> um, last year, I was pretty apathetic. I think Tampa takes it. I think it takes seven. I think Montreal is a very, very tough out. Um, they played the Knights very well. Um, but I just think, I'm just thinking Tampa added Kucherov and Stamkos. If they would pull this off. Tampa is so far over the cap. Yeah, $17 million over the cap. Yeah, and if, if a team like Montreal can beat them anyway, it would be incredible. So... One last thing, uh, I, and I still hate them for it, but I did see today someone, you know, dug back through some of the rule changes that had happened over the years and things that were proposed and, and shot down by other governors in the summers. And the 2015 Blackhawks in that shortened season were over the cap. And the only franchise to propose a change to that to make sure that there could be no soft cap was the Tampa Bay Lightning. So, some could say that maybe there's some universal karma in that nobody else saw it as a problem at the time, and then they, they found the loophole. I, I don't know. I, it just feels wrong. <laughs> it really, it does. And I'm sure the Islanders are really feeling that way right now. But so it is what it is. I mean, 
they figured it out and did it. So let's take that thought to its conclusion. The Islanders, the Islanders really did put up a fight against Tampa Bay. That's with that said, I think the Penguins played them just as well, if not better, than the Lightning did. Right. So this is something that I wanted to kind of get out into the ether because it's been on my mind lately. Going through and watching like round two and round three, and now seeing who's in round four, it's been on my mind. The Pens would have had a pretty easy path. And when you think of teams like the Bruins and the Lightning, it doesn't seem easy, but the way that they played, I really felt that the Pens could have beat them. And and not easily, because, I mean, no team's easy to beat. But I think we would have won in five or six against both teams. So, hot take. I, and I said this all year. I, I thought this coming into this year. I thought the Bruins' window was closed. And that seems weird coming from a Pens fan. You know, we got aging stars. Their entire cap structure is is all over the place. David Krejci just doesn't look like a second line center anymore to me. You know, they have they have one line and they're lacking depth. On the defensive side of things, they're good at moving the puck forward and eliminating some high danger chances. But they suffered some, from a similar situation that we did, which was that they're a little small. They kind of get pushed around some nights. And the Islanders did the exact same thing to them that they did to us. And I I feel as though we would have easily taken them out. And against the Lightning, the coin flip, honestly. Right. It's just, it's just interesting to think about because we did feel like we had such a great chance this year. And, you know, you give us the exact same team but with a different goalie or just a better Tristan Jari... And I think we're playing in the finals right now. Yep. But <laughs> that leads to a very scary situation for us where we're playing the Canadians again. I So in bizarre I, world. I feel like the outcome is similar to last year. I, I think that if we would have made it to the finals instead of Tampa, we also would get beat. The same way I think Tampa's going so to get you, beat. Do you just think that's a stylistic disadvantage? You know, when you're going for east-west passing plays and you're going up against this hard collapsing defense with a great goaltender and solid neutral zone, prevent defense. I don't know what you want to call it. It's not the trap. It's not even a 1-2-2. It's its own entity, but it's this new thing that, you know, Trotz really came up with and other coaches have adopted, but it's it's similar to the trap. So let's call it the, the new trap. If you're up against that, you're an east-west, high, high talent, high high-octane team, can you beat it? Is there an easy way to do so in a seven-game series? Right now, I would say no. Just based on the fact that the Canadians are in the final. I mean, I guess Tampa beat it, um, but that was a one nothing game. Like, that could have been a coin flip. They easily could be eliminated right now, and the Islanders could be in the final. So, I, I think my mind goes back to 2017 versus the Senators. Yeah, And yeah. they tried a version of this. And honestly, the... The Tampa and Islanders series was giving me flashbacks to that series against the Sens in 2017. And we did beat it. Barely. Um, <laughs> double overtime. Game to seven beat type. It. Yeah. Beat it. Yeah. So I guess you can beat it, but I think it's just like any other hockey game. It's random to a point. You know, you obviously have skill, but 
I don't know, any game could go either way, no matter what the skill of the team is, depending on your, your luck. My concern is, and bringing all of our thoughts together, the refing plus this new style of trap, if you combine them in terms of overall league trends, does this lead to a new era of very little scoring, stars getting absolutely hammered and shut down, you know, skilled teams looking to add big bruisers again? I- I feel like that's the path we're headed on. I hate to say that, but it it really feels like we are going to have an, a new era here and it's and it's going to be boring. I mean, think about it. Two teams like that almost made the final. Can you imagine that final against the Islanders and the Canadians? It it would have been like snooze fest. It would have been horrible. And I'm sure for those fan bases it would have been great. But for all of us who, you know, kind of don't really care about the outcome, we I feel like we wouldn't have watched it. Or, you know, it's one of those things you would have put on in the background because it it's not good hockey. I shouldn't say that. It's not entertaining hockey. Yeah. And I mean, when it comes down to it, we all like scoring. We all we all want to watch stars score goals. And it sort of feels like the league's doing everything to not have that happen and and i think this is something that i've harped on a lot i love watching like the shl i love watching you know finnish league um you know khl a big reason why i like that so much is because there is more room east to west yeah there's there's space there's better refing there's it's more consistent refing. I don't want to say it's better refing necessarily. Right, right. I, I understand what you're saying. And, I mean, but I think they, when you look at their teams in, in you know, Europe and stuff, it they don't have as much talent as, as the NHL does, but the hockey is so much better. Yeah, and, and that's not to say that adding more space in terms of the, the rink's width is going to lead to more goals. Actually, it seems like it's pretty much a wash because um, they've experimented with this before or it's a slight gain. The difference seems to be in the high danger chances. The goalies have to be more acrobatic, more athletic. There has to be you know, a greater buyout or, or, or sellout from, from defensemen to block shots. It's not as stationary. And I think that that is what's so terrifying in a league of Connor McDavid is that the game is becoming stationary and it should be going the complete other direction. Right. All right. So lastly, we want to go over the RFA situation for the Penguins. And um, the next next week we'll do UFAs and the following two weeks we're going to go over the draft. So this is kind of a stepping stone to get to all of that. Uh, the main RFAs that we need to qualify are Bluger and Czar. So, obviously, these two are pretty impactful to our team, both on the fourth line with Tanev. I think it would be crazy to, you know, not qualify them. And I think we will qualify them. So, Seth, if you want to just go over the qualification rules a little bit, I feel like this gets a little hairy for everyone. So just to go over the timeline, the expansion draft is July 21st. You have to qualify your RFAs July 22nd. And then the regular draft is July 23rd and 24th. Okay. So 
just um, some things to consider. I took this from an initial site. Uh, the player doesn't have to take the amount offered in a qualifying offer. After the offer is made, they can reject it and remain in RFA while negotiating for another amount. A qualifying offer becomes a contract. If you sign it, the salary and years offered are confirmed, essentially. So if the team offers it, you sign it, it's over, right? There's also another, so certain RFAs, both of which Czar and Bluger are, can file for arbitration. If there is a large discrepancy between the amount offered and the amount that they want, or the term, or any other detail, they can file for arbitration to a neutral arbiter. Now, in the recent past, arbitration generally led to a result that would benefit the team, right? You know, RFAs did not make money, cash money. They didn't make it. But in the last two or three seasons, advanced stats, you know, third, fourth liners have been able to carve out a piece of the pie. Another thing to consider once an RFA signs, an offer sheet, they're no longer eligible to receive offer sheets from other clubs. I don't think Czar or Bluger would get offer sheeted for three mil plus. Offer sheets are rare, and that's pretty much it. So here are our RFAs in addition to Czar and Bluger. Um, we have Zahorna, we have uh, Bjorkwist, we have Militech, we have Jesper Lindgren, a defenseman uh, from the Kapanen trade. We have Emil Larmy, and uh, we also have uh, Jankowski, um, Mark Jankowski, 26 years old. Uh, he has not signed his uh, full free agent deal yet. So, among those players, who do you think stays? Who do you think goes? Thoughts? Well, obviously, I think Bluger and Zara will stay. Zahorna, I think, will stay. We already know Yarmi is done. He he went back to Finland. So he he will not be there. Um, no, he, he doesn't his situation doesn't really matter. He I don't think he'll be tender to qualifying either. Uh, right, right. And uh so then it really leaves, you know, Militech, Bjorkvist and Lindgren. They're all kind of marginal prospects. I know me myself, I'm a fan of Sam Militech. Uh, I saw him in a prospect camp and I was pretty impressed. As to Lindgren, I know he played for Moto, a team I follow a little bit. Uh, in did, Sweden. In Sweden. Uh, didn't really get uh, didn't really get a lot of uh, tape on him. So, jury's out, but I doubt that they give him up. There are plenty of contracts. So you have 50 contract spaces. Another thing we should probably say, we have 50 contract spaces organizationally, right, where you are, are locked in on the rights. Not every AHL or ECHL player has to be signed to a contract. Most teams get right up against that in a, in, a, in a season, right? We're at 35 right now, and with Larmy subtracted from that, you're at 34. They're going to sign and at least 14 players. Well, and we'll be at 33 after the expansion draft. Correct, because they're going to take one away as well. So that almost just, that kind of signifies that we're probably going to qualify everyone. Yeah, we're going to need to get to... There's actually a minimum for contracts as and well. And if, if not for, I mean, the Pens, it will be for, for Wilkes-Barre. Yeah, I mean, they were god-awful this year. They're, yeah, they need players, um, which is why, like, Zahorna, Militech, well, really, uh, everyone, other than, like, Bluegers are, 
are, are kind of probably more for Wilkes-Barre this year. So let's let's touch on what um, Hooks Warpick over at Pennsburg did discuss, which is that there's really no incentive for the Penguins organization to qualify either Czar or Bluger prior to the 21st. Right. And the expansion draft. I, I think that's because we they have a significantly less chance of getting taken if they're not qualified yet. Yeah, because they have Obviously, to... Obviously, if they have a new contract, they're, they're just as out in the open as everyone we don't protect. Conversely, and I want, I want to throw this out there because um, I don't think he touched on it. Um, what if you really like one of those two players? And I like both of those players. But what if you really like Teddy Bluger, right? And you want him to be your 3C after Jeff Carter's gone. What if you throw him $3 million for three years to disincentivize the Seattle Kraken from taking him if he's left unprotected? Is that a strategy? Maybe, but I think that they may take him for $3 million for three years. That's not a bad <laughs> contract for a player like Teddy Bluger. And I know you can say he you know, doesn't get tons of goals and whatever you're going to say about Teddy, but he's just a well-rounded player, and I think he's liked on the team and in the locker room, and he's the kind of player you want in your bottom six, and we'd be incredibly dumb to not have him in our bottom six next year and moving forward. He's been stewing in the Penguins' uh, system for a long time, and we don't have a lot of players who are, so I, I think that if we don't if, as an organization, we don't think Seattle's going to take someone who needs to be signed, then we wait and do it the day after. Yeah, I, I think that's the easy play. I was just throwing it out there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think it kind of depends. I, I think Teddy Bluger is under the radar in the rest of the league. I Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those, you know, he's more valuable to us than someone else. I just would you overpay a player to no protect them. I de no. facto protect them. I would I wouldn't. Um I think we need to be careful about money and yeah. we need to pay Teddy Bluger what Teddy Bluger's worth and I don't think you know you overpay just in hopes that another team wouldn't want to take on that contract. That gets you in trouble down the line, especially like if he has a major setback and we need to trade him or something, yeah, or it, buy him out, or it just a, gets you into big trouble. It's later. an out there proposal, but I just thought it was worth mentioning. Definitely. Um, and I think it's worth mentioning that he came through our system, as did Aston Reese, as did a few other players. Our pool has not led to, you know, NHL ready players in the same way that other systems have. And I think that it's important to note that with so few contracts on the book for next season and with kind of a wide open Wilkes-Barre situation, maybe we should go big game hunting when it comes to free agent NCAA players or, you know, stars in the, in the EuroLeague or, you know, on junior teams. There's no reason not to. Well, and that leads into the fact that we just need to rebuild our are like rookies mm -hmm. and I'm sure we'll talk about that way more at length in, in the draft episodes but it doesn't hurt to start in in a non-draft way so yeah like you said getting our scouts out there going to see what's out there that we can hopefully build upon and get 
get them in our system, get them down in Wilkes-Barre, and get them ready for the next couple of years in Pittsburgh. I don't want to belabor the point, but like, especially with NCAA, there's a bum rush every season from the top teams to go try to sign some of these late bloomers, right? These guys that are juniors and seniors that have played for these national teams and, and proven themselves to go put them in their system. And we're already behind the eight ball. It keeps getting earlier every season. You know, there's Jordan Kawaguchi to Dallas, Alex Steves to Toronto, Odin Tufto to Tampa, Mike Hardman to Chicago, and the list goes on. These are all just forwards. There are players still out there like Mark McLaughlin from uh, Boston College, uh, point-per-game player. He was a captain. And there's others, but, you know, it's it seems like it needs to be an organizational focus to try to hit the lottery with somebody off the radar without a draft pick, and it doesn't seem like it's a focus. And that's disappointing because, you know, maybe that'll be something Hexel focuses on in the next couple of years. But right now we need to be gunning for these kids and and we're not. Yeah. I don't know. I think overall we need to have a good offseason in the way of UFAs. Mm. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll get into that more next week. But we, we need to find some win now people and then... We need to stop putting the future of the team on the back burner, if there's even a way to do that. I mean, we've seen it in Chicago. We've seen it in L.A. We're going to be bad for a while because it's hard. It's hard to have a win-now team and have all these prospects that are up and coming. So if if Hexall can find a way to do that and, and build us up a little bit in the minors, that would be awesome. Um, I don't know if that'll happen, but oh, I guess we'll we'll see. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely a balancing act that nobody has really pulled in the cap era. You know, managing an aging core and marquee prospects at the same time. That's why Montreal is so weird. You got these super young kids, yeah. Caulfield, Kakanami, Suzuki, that are just absolutely blowing it up, and then you got these old dudes like Stahl and Perry who you thought retired three years ago, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're there and they're contributing. That's yeah. that's not the formula these days. Maybe it could be. Who knows? Yeah, and I mean, COVID has some to do with that because everyone signed these, like, small one-year deals. And, yeah. you know, we're seeing how that's affected now, the playoffs. But maybe that's something that will stick around from COVID. You know, may- maybe we were overpaying a lot of a lot of different players and I mean I think that a lot of players are overpaid for what they bring so maybe maybe that will be one good outcome of COVID smaller shorter contracts for players that haven't really proven themselves and players that aren't superstars we we saw a lot of people get paid superstar salaries that are just your normal normal NHLer so I don't know that's that's definitely something to, to look at as well to see if we, we can kind of mimic that moving forward, that smaller, smaller, shorter deal to see if a player will work out. And I think if, if the right fit is there, I think that's, I think you're right. I, yeah, I mean, I think the, the one example I can think of is like when, when Jeff Carter's contract is up. Like, one year do deal. we sign him to a smaller one year deal and see if he still has it? And then if he doesn't have it, no big deal. One yeah. year, you know, he's team dad and doesn't do much else, and that's fine. But 
And okay, so what if it works? Like you, you, then you could you could have you know this amazing player, and you can make a deep deep run. And it, it's a gamble, but if it's only one year, then I think do, it's definitely worth it. Do you think GMs are ever going to stop making those insane superstar level? contracts for marginal players i'm gonna say no the reason (laughs) i'm gonna say no is because of the other leagues the nhl the mlb you know those those leagues and nba they're making so much money so much money and the nhl seems like it's not only the hardest on your body but paid paid the least yeah yeah so i think there's always gonna be crazy deals, um, these blockbuster trades and contract signings and all of that. But I think those need to have a place and they need to be the superstars, the generational talents. We need to stop signing other players to deals like that because it's it just creates inflation. Yeah, and I think, honestly, outside of maybe Jack Johnson and a couple other cases where most of most of those contracts have been moved out at this point we really haven't incurred a lot of liability on marginal players we can't we can't we haven't we we spend too much money on our three stars we we can't do that yeah and other teams try to do that and and get into trouble and you're gonna see that with toronto um you're already seeing yeah yeah it's good it's gonna get worse with them um because they they need to go out and get defense and they they have no money to do it so, I mean, you you definitely see it around the league and how it, how it affects teams. And, yeah, we haven't done that, and I hope we can continue that, that trend. But I hope that we'll be able to get a couple of UFAs without crazy payment. I, I mean, every year there's a bargain or two. Yeah. We'll just hope we're on the right end of them this year. Yeah. All right. I think that has been a lot of ground covered. Uh, I... You know, I look forward to seeing how the finals play out. It's definitely, a, like I said, David versus Goliath. It'll be fun, um, despite my dislike for the Canadian style overall. It, it is uh, an interesting narrative. So, um, Jess, any other final thoughts? Uh, no, I, I mean, let's go Canadians, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> I will be really, I'm really looking forward to watching the finals and I'm sure next week, even though we're going to focus on UFAs, uh, we may or may not have, I don't know, I Thoughts? guess we won't have, we probably won't have a, a winner yet at that point next week, but um, we'll probably have an idea who, who of who's going to win. So I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more at the beginning of next week's episode. But um, that is all for us for, for today. Um, don't forget to check us out at Twitter, at Pair at the Point. You can also check us and Face Off Hockey Network out at their Twitter. It's at the FHN, and then their website is thefhn.net. Bye. Bye.